Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 2, Some Assembly Required. Welcome, welcome, everybody. I am excited to talk about this episode. Yeah, it's one of those episodes where, you know, my memories of it were of it being kind of cheesy and maybe campy and not as good. But on rewatching it, you know, it's still not great. <laughs> but it <laughs> yeah. was better than I thought it was. And I've got some thoughts about how it stacks up versus season one's episodes. So we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah, it's funny. This episode, I didn't remember it as a whole but there are definitely scenes in this episode that I remember very well. Yeah. So did you notice, Steph, at the very beginning that the opening is now narrated by Giles instead of nasal narrator guy? I did notice that. I liked it. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. Like, you know, <laughs> I like what I like, but um, <laughs> Giles does bring a more grittier, darker, serious tone to this season which is perfect because we were saying in the last episode that's exactly what this season already feels like a little bit more serious the mm -hmm. stakes are a little bit higher than last season so it makes sense but yeah we we open with giles's narration and we open the cemetery and buffy is playing with a yo-yo while waiting for someone named stefan korshak to rise uh obviously a newborn vampire i i kind of wonder like is that a real person Right, because yeah. you know how directors and writers and producers and stuff will put like their friends or former <laughs> like high school classmates into TV shows. So I wonder if that name belongs to a real person who either like worked on the show or knows somebody who worked on the show. Hey, I bet one of our Buffy lexicon listeners will know. So if you anyone out there who knows who Stefan Korshak is, let us know. Uh, so Buffy is. Yeah, playing with this yo-yo, waiting for this guy to wake up. She wants him to hurry because she's got trig homework that night. Something is approaching from behind, and it's Angel! Yay! And uh, they have a cute little conversation that I actually really like at first. She's waiting for this new vampire, and Angel says, It's a bit disorienting at first to figure out where you are before you can, you know, break out and, and climb up. And Buffy says it's weird to think that he went through that because... He's a vampire, right? And <laughs> he says it's it's weird to go through. But Angel isn't here to give Buffy half-baked news, as he is wont to do. Uh, he's actually there so that they can have a, a little lover's quarrel uh, for the audience. I was going to say, like, mm -hmm. it, would we call this Angel and Buffy's first fight? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, when she first found out he was a vampire, they tried to kill each other. Does that count? But, I, you know, I mean, I know they're not really dating yet here either, but they weren't yeah. really dating at that point, right? No. Whereas I feel like, okay, they're not officially dating yet here, but it's in the air. So I feel like this is the first fight, even like it's going to be backdated as being their first fight. 
Yeah, I can see that for sure. I, if, I guess it depends on the timeline. Like, do we think that they're dating at this point? I mean, they're definitely getting to know each other on a, on a more personal good, level. Which is good because yeah. one of my objections to the Buffy Angel relationship as it's portrayed in season one was that he's never around. He only shows up to give her news and then he fucks off. And it's like, you can't build a relationship on that, right? Like Buffy's attracted to him, fine. But like, you barely know this guy and like, the first thing you learn about him is he's that he's a 200 year old vampire who used yeah. to go on murderous rampages. <laughs> so I think it's good that at least in this season, they're taking some time to get to know each other yes. before they embark on any kind of actual serious relationship. Yeah, I agree with that. I like that the show at uh, this scene, but also the very last scene of this episode, you can tell that they're taking time to let them build this thing slowly. These are, these are little baby steps. Not every show does that. Some shows just jump right in, you know? And this one, they're mm -hmm. actually letting them breathe, which is actually nice yeah. to see for their relationship. Angel is there to pick a fight. And Buffy asks, like, oh, are you, are you jealous because she had that dance? Remember the sexy dance with Xander that you and I, I broke down? I don't want to remember the sexy dance with Xander. Why are you reminding me, Steph? <laughs> because the show reminds us many times in this episode that that happened. They don't want us to forget that Buffy grinded up on Xander's boner. <laughs> Can we not? Angel right, rightly says it was more like mating. <laughs> She's like, oh, are you jealous? And he's like, no, he's just a kid. And Angel, I want you to be very careful about calling Xander a kid and bringing up Xander's age because Buffy is also Xander's age. It's a good observation. <laughs> yeah. And Buffy says that she did that just to make him crazy. Behold her success. And he denies being jealous and she brings up the fact that he's a vampire and then he points out that she's always bringing up the fact that he's a vampire. So they're like right out bickering at this point. And while they're arguing, Stefan has risen behind them and he attacks them. And they're because Buffy wasn't paying attention. She doesn't know where her stake is. And uh, Stefan actually shovels Angel in the face. Like he picks up a shovel, which just happened to be there and like takes him his, out in his face and Angel falls back. It looks so painful. And Buffy ends up breaking the shovel handle because that's what Buffy does. She's resourceful. She just uses what's around her and she dusts him. And this is the first time in the scene while they're fighting that I notice what Buffy is wearing. Buffy is wearing heels and a mini skirt, like a little pink mini skirt. And I know a lot of people point this out. So here's me pointing it out. Buffy dresses inappropriately when she's slaying. Like it's you know, Buffy, wear what you want to wear. You look great. But if it were me and I was slaying every night, I'd have like a utility belt like Batman has. I'd have boots or or the very least runners on. My hair would be back. Like I would just be ready to move, you know? <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Like I I'm digging Buffy's outfit in this scene. It's a nice outfit. But I also noticed it as well. I'm like, is that what you're wearing to the graveyard? <laughs> yeah. To, to stake a vampire? But, <laughs> I mean, let's not slay Shane Buffy, okay? I'm not trying. I don't want to. I'm just pointing out that there are better alternatives that, you know, unless she planned to go to the bronze after, which is something she also likes to do, right? It's true. But she said she had trig homework, so I know she's not. And I also think that if I were in that position, I would just cut my hair short. Like, if I were a slayer... I would just cut it short so that vampires can't grab it or that it's not like, you know, get in the way of my kicking ass. You know what I'm saying? That's too much of a sacrifice for me, Steph. <laughs> I'll just shave it off. Um, okay, so 
uh, right after she stakes him, they go straight back to fighting. And Angel's like, I'm out. I'm leaving. Bye. And he tries to leave. He's like, this was a mistake. And as he's leaving, Buffy chases after him, saying it takes more than that to get rid of me. And just as she says that, she falls into an open grave that has an empty casket. Angel comes back to check on her and Buffy's like, oh, what's this doing here? And she notices tracks and a high-heeled shoe. So Angel says, oh, another vampire rose tonight. And Buffy says, they didn't rise. She was dragged. <gasps> so cut to credits. Uh, the next day in the library, Buffy and Xander enter and they see Giles practicing what he'll be saying when he asks out Jenny, a.k.a. Miss Calendar. And, like, he's practicing, it's going, he's, like, using all these big words and is obviously not very smooth at all. And Buffy says, boy, I guess we never realized how much you like that chair. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. Yeah. And uh, Giles sees that he saw, they saw him and he's embarrassed. And Buffy gives him some advice. And she's like, hey, just ask her out normally. Just say, like, hey, do you want to, do you like Which Mexican? Is the advice that Willow gave Xander <laughs> last season, right? It's interesting to me, the parallel here of how both of the major male characters on the show are being portrayed as really awkward at asking out women. And again, is this like, is this Joss Whedon projecting? <laughs> like, yeah. Where yeah. is our suave male character? I know, I know, Steph, it's supposed to be Angel, but let's be, let's face it, Steph, Angel is not the most smooth talking person. Well, he hasn't had a lot of practice. <laughs> this is true. So it's just like, where's the smooth talking man in this show, right? Like, why are all these men awkward around women? What's that saying? That's a good point. Uh, also, as a teacher, I feel honored bound to point out incredibly inappropriate that Giles is discussing his like personal life, dating life, especially with another teacher at the school with his <laughs> students. It's like, this is crossing a line here, Giles. Hey, these these lines have been... Like, are there lines anymore? Like, I feel like this little group, yeah, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you're totally right. And Giles, I think the fact that you're even practicing out loud in the middle of the library, I know no one goes in there, but you know they go in there. <laughs> so you should do this in your office, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Xander calls Miss Calendar Dalsum and says that she already knows that he's a librarian so he doesn't have to break out that embarrassing news. So like they're they're teasing him, but they're all like Buffy's also trying to like give him some advice. And honestly, like I really liked this scene. I know that they're like mm -hmm. kind of like being assholes to him, but I could watch them do this group dynamic all day. Yeah, I think it's, it's very great. similar to the chirping of Giles back in the puppet show episode, right, where he's being placed in charge and they kind of like show up and mock him for a little bit <laughs> yeah. until they end up having to be in the show too. And it's just like, yeah. oops. It's, it's done with love. Uh, but I really like when they have these moments of them just like, this is also character development and relationship developing is having them have these conversations in the library. So I, I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. And Giles gets annoyed, obviously, and changes the subject to slaying. And Buffy says, Angel and I took care of Stefan and Xander says Angel and I just wanted to point that out because like we need to track every time Xander shows jealousy towards Angel this season this season mm -hmm. particularly because I think if I'm going to build up a case for the end of the season it's going to start now <laughs> and this will come okay. in handy for me later when I when I make some big announcements later in the season oh I'm excited for this listeners <laughs> I have no idea what Steph is talking about <laughs> but I'm here for it. I'm ready for it. Buffy mentions the grave robbing 
Giles is going to collect some theories. And Buffy knows that the body was a girl their age named Meredith Todd. And they're going to get Willow to track more of this information down for them. Once again, assigning Willow to do research on dead students. This is going to take its toll on her. The thing is, is like, can none of you use the computer? (laughs) Is Will the only one who knows how to use one? Willow is in the hallway organizing the school science fair and a guy named Eric comes and takes her photo without her permission. And I want to bring up here that Willow is actually so beautiful and we need to stop pretending that she's not because I think this show plays off that she's dweeby and mousy and quiet and, you know, that's why everyone overlooks her, but she's not. Like, Alison Hannigan is beautiful. That doesn't give an excuse for this guy to take her picture without her permission. And then mm-hmm. he immediately goes and chases another girl who's wearing a short skirt. So, you know, yeah. teenage boys. ha ha ha. A guy named Chris stands very close to Willow. And apparently this guy is like a science whiz. And him and Willow have this little science fair rivalry happening. And I thought that this was supposed to be flirting. Like, I thought this might have been... A connection between him and her and maybe willow had a crush on him but this never really plays out but they introduce it like that okay i i can i can see how you would say that i i didn't see it that way but i get what you're saying there yeah i just saw it as like they had to introduce chris because he's a pretty big deal in this episode so already you know if buffy is introducing just a random new high school student they're probably going to be a big deal for the episode mm-hmm But it's also just really nice to see, because we know that Willow is smart. She's one of the smartest kids in school. It's nice to see her interacting with another smart kid, because the last time we had another smart kid, it was Morgan, and he got his brains eaten. (laughs) Um, So in this case, right, it's like, how does Willow interact with other students as a peer, not necessarily as like a friend or as somebody who's being bullied by Cordelia, right? right so this right. was this was a nice little interaction. No, I agree, and I, I like that assessment of it for sure. Cordelia comes up to sign up for the fair, and she's being forced to by her teacher, and she says that no one should ever have to do anything educational at school if they don't want to. <laughs> and uh, her project will be whether or not a tomato is a fruit or vegetable. Oh, Cordelia, don't ever change. Long live Cordelia. And Eric starts taking photos of her. And she says, oh, I thought the yearbook was later on. And he's like, it's not for the yearbook. It's for my permanent collection. Yuck. Like, really fucking gross. Agreed. Buffy comes up to them to take Willow away so she can go and do research for them. And Eric takes her picture, too. I pointed out in my notes that Buffy and Willow, as they're walking up the stairs, are holding hands. Like, which I think was so precious <laughs> i just thought it was really really cute and uh cordelia scoffs at yet another sexual harassment case at sunnydale high and then walks away as well and eric says to chris cordelia is so fine she'd be perfect for us and chris says don't be an idiot she's alive <laughs> i i think we found our grave robbers right <laughs> Yeah, this episode is not exactly subtle about (laughs) anything. Yeah. And in the library, Willow's doing research and Cordelia comes in to ask Willow to help with her science project. And it's so funny because Willow's just like, it's a fruit, (laughs) just like right away. And um, I am also building a new theory uh, from last episode and this episode. And that's that Cordelia is secretly wishing that she was part of this friendship group. Oh, 
A hundred percent. Her need for it is growing. So coming into the library and following the girls in there, it's such a lame excuse to be like, I need your help. I think she just wanted to be part of the action. I think she wants to be in this group. And she's too, I don't know, proud or awkward or unsure that she just doesn't come out and be part of the group. Well, I don't think she knows how to make friends because up until this point, right, she has been the popular one. So other girls flock to her and Mm -hmm. she just kind of lets them orbit her, right? So it's this is a new experience of being on the outside of a group and wanting in. Yeah, I like this. So I'm glad you're on with this. I mean, maybe it's not a theory. Maybe this is exactly what the writers wanted for Cordy to be like, I want to be in this, but doesn't know how. But that's something I'm picking up on. I'm like, Cordy wants Mm -hmm. in there so bad. And um, she basically says she would have asked Chris to help, but then it would bring up too many memories of Daryl. And no one talks about Daryl. No one, I don't know who Daryl is, but no one says anything because no one's paying attention to her. Because Willow got a hit on Meredith Todd on her computer, who died in a car accident the week before, along with two other girls. And they went to a school called Fen- Fondren High. Fondren High, something like that. Uh, it's a, It must be a neighborhood town's high school because I'm pretty sure Sunnydale High is the only one at Sunnydale. Yeah, like, sun, you know, Southern California is pretty dense, right? So um, it's probably not too far to the nearby town, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I agree. And you have to keep in mind, like, the student was buried in Sunnydale, one of Sunnydale's many cemeteries. So <laughs> yeah. the high school must not be that far away <laughs> yeah, surely. for the student to be buried here. Yeah. But, you know, I think Principal Snyder would be happy to know that this wasn't one of his students that died. <laughs> right, right. There are other students that die at other schools, and that's great for news for me. <laughs> so, yeah, so this confirms that someone dug her up because it wasn't a vampire or, or a monster that killed her. So they're dealing with a body snatcher, which is so weird. And Giles comes up with a theory that it's either a demon who eats the flesh of the dead to absorb their souls, obviously, like, that's what I would also jump to, or it could be a voodoo practitioner, someone who makes zombies. And those are the only two possible options that it could be the voodoo practitioner usually requires more than one body so buffy says they need to see if the other girls bodies are in their graves this is so morbid um so yay they're gonna go grave digging and willow says oh boy a field trip and she's gonna bring snacks for them and buffy is very adamant that they will not be inviting Angel. And they do invite Cordelia, who because she's standing there. And she says, oh, I have cheerleading practice. But it, if I had known that we'd be digging up bodies, I would have canceled. You know, like, sarcastically, but also, like, could she be telling the truth? You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I just want to point out, though, that the episode is, you know, taking pains to remind us that Cordelia is a cheerleader, because that will come up later in the episode. Right. So in the cemetery, Buffy and Willow are having boy talk by the headstones while Giles and Xander dig. <laughs> and Buffy's telling Willow how Angel is jealous of Xander. And once again, they talk about the sexy dance from the ep before. <laughs> Buffy really wants to live that down, but no one's going to let her live that down because that was terrible. And Willow says love makes you do the wacky. So... Finally, they tell us who Daryl is. Willow says Daryl was Chris's older brother, who was a big football star, but he died while rock climbing and broke Cordelia's heart. And Chris has been quiet ever since, and his mother doesn't leave the house anymore. So 
lots of trauma going on with Chris's family. And this is where I had to point out, okay, so Cordelia was like kind of seeing this guy and he died. And Cordelia has a dead boyfriend from Prophecy Girl. And Cordelia had a boyfriend that got the shit kicked out of him in the episode before that. So how many of Cordelia's boyfriends have died? In the last year. Well, I don't know if Daryl was her boyfriend because we learn later in this episode, right, that he didn't actually pay attention to her. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're supposed to infer is that Cordelia was into Daryl, probably because he was, you know, a football star. And Daryl either just didn't give her the time of day or didn't want to date Cordelia. <gasps> so that's what she means by the bad memories, right? Because remember, okay. this is Cordelia. <laughs> So probably the bad memory isn't that he's dead, yeah. it's that he turned her down. <laughs> KK, you're right. You're right. You're right. But um, the fact that like another situation or person that Cordelia wanted to be close to is dying. So just I'm just trying to come up with more ideas well, as to why. Yes, this show is all about Cordelia's pain. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like there was an earlier point in the episode where they were in the library and Cordelia's like, um, hello. Can we deal with my pain, please? And Giles just absently goes, they're there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this whole show is just about Cordelia and how awful it is to be her in Sunnydale. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to like collect more evidence as to why Cordelia, why this group um, is alluring to Cordelia to maybe be part of because, hey, all these people around her are dying. She keeps getting kidnapped. What about this group over here that is actually trying to prevent that stuff? Sure, I will also say though that if your criteria for inclusion into this group is somebody around you at the high school has died there's gonna be a lot of other students who can join <laughs> sure. this group right like mm -hmm. but my my love for cordelia tells me that she is more of a hero than those other random students we don't know which is why okay. she really kind of wants her foot in the door at this hero group you know i guess we'll just have to see if she shows more of her heroic qualities later on as the series develops we shall we shall find out so before giles and xander strike the coffin xander does call willow and buffy femmes and says, like, why aren't you helping to dig? I am not a fan of the humor in this scene. What's going on here is something that's often called hanging a lampshade or hanging a lantern on a situation. So that's what we call it when the writers are doing something really obvious. And so they point out that they're doing it. So in this case, the writers have decided the men are going to dig the, out the grave and the women are just going to sit around and watch. And that's such an obviously sexist division of labor that they have Xander and Buffy, right? Because Buffy also kind of retorts, you know, I was raised traditionally <laughs> to believe that the men dig up the bodies and the women, you know, have kids. The writers are having that little conversation in this scene to deliberately point out the sexist division of labor. Yeah. So it's almost a way of excusing it. And I just, I don't think it really works. I think it's unnecessary. Like, yes, obviously you wanted Buffy and Willow to have their boy talk, but yeah. I think there would have been better ways of dealing with this scene. Yeah, I mean, for sure, Willow and Buffy need to get that exposition out. How else are we going to learn about Daryl? Like, while they're digging? I don't think so. Uh, but Giles agrees with Xander. He's just like, here, here, when, Z when Xander makes that point. Oh, Giles, don't encourage him. But Giles, just stop, okay? Xander's not your friend. On one hand, I'm like, okay, Buffy, you know, you do you. No one tells you what to do, you know? On the other hand, I'm like, Buffy, you're the strongest one. I bet you could have dug that hole in no time. <laughs> but whatever. 
we move on. Giles strikes the coffin. He says a body would mean flesh-eating demon. No bodies. It could be zombies. So no one wants to open it. So Buffy hops down and does the honor. And the audience doesn't get to see what's in the coffin. But we do get a really nice shot uh, pointing up of the four of them looking in to it, which I thought was really cute. Cut to the parking lot at the school. Cordy is walking to her car after cheerleading practice and she hears a noise. And I was surprised to see her car because the last time we saw her car, it was in the hallways of Sunnydale High. So either she got a new one or it got fixed. Um, instead of asking who's there or investigating the noise, she runs to her car because Cordelia is smart. And like in any classic horror movie, she drops her keys while she's trying to open mm. it. And as she tries to reach for them, she realizes they're too far away as a man's shoes approach on the other side of the car. So she takes off. She runs and hides in a dumpster. And uh, as she peeks out to see if the person's gone, we, we see that it's Angel. <laughs> and he's wearing a white jacket, which is so weird to see on him. And yes. It's so weird. It kind of looks... Like, obviously, David Boreanaz doesn't look quite old enough, but he kind of looks like he's in dad mode. Yeah, like country club golf dad mode. Like, I don't like it. I don't think that's his vibe, but he's trying something new. And you know what? He He's like we said, he's a vampire and he's trying <laughs> to new things. <laughs> Um, Cordy asks why he was following her. And he said, oh, I just I wasn't sure if it was you at first. It's like Angel. You freaked her out for no reason, you monster. Just kidding, you beautiful, beautiful soul. Um, he's looking for Buffy, and Cordy says, oh, big shock, she's at the graveyard. And Angel seems surprised because Buffy apparently told him that she was going to be at home. So he's helping her out of the yeah, dumpster. Yeah, so I have a question here. Yeah. Do we think Cordy knows that Angel's a vampire yet? No. Okay. No. Because I was thinking about this, and... This isn't going to spoil anything for anybody because I, I looked this up afterwards because I'm like, when does Cordy find out? Um, and, and the answer turns out to be that at some point in this season, Cordy does know, but there is no actual like point in an episode where they tell her. So it must have happened off screen. So it's very ambiguous and kind of open to interpretation for at least the next few episodes, <laughs> whether or not she knows. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, because I know an upcoming episode so very well, and I know she doesn't know then, so I know that in this particular scene, she definitely doesn't know that he's a vampire. Which episode are you talking about there? Halloween. See, I, I thought she knew by that episode. Well, I guess we'll find out when we get there, when we watch it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so um, can you help me out? And as he helps her out, she pulls out a human hand from the dumpster and f screams. We cut to the library and the group is returning from their grave digging excursion and they're saying that all the bodies were missing. So the zombie theory, they're narrowing down on that. And Angel and Cordy are waiting there for them and Cordy is clinging to Angel's arm. And Bobby, I mean, wouldn't you, Steph? <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. And Bobby looks miffed about that. And part of me was like, is this kind of like revenge? Like Angel's revenge for Buffy's sexy dance with Xander? Like letting Cordy be all over him like that? Or he, maybe he's just a gentleman and just doesn't, you know, doesn't know what to do about it, you know? I don't know. And anyway, they say that they found body parts. So that, that debunks their theory. Why dig up three girls only to chop them up and then throw them away? And Angel points out that there were still parts missing. <laughs> 
why he would know that <laughs> like right off the bat i don't know well when you have as much experience as he does like killing vast groups of people staff i'm sure you get good at like counting body parts you're right <laughs> you're right that's uh, that explains exactly what that question was they also quickly deduced that it must be a student who's doing it since the parts were dumped on campus so angel says whoever made those incisions really knew what they were doing because like you just pointed out angel has experience being a a sadistic murderer so he knows what it's all about and willow suggests that the boys in the science lab would be able to do that including her and wait have we ruled out willow as a suspect yet (laughs) well xander actually makes a really good joke there where he's like okay will just say you won't do it anymore and we'll call it a night you know like it's pretty good Yeah, exactly like willow is confessing that she has the capability of doing this i don't think we should give her a pass just because we're friends with her that's true like i mean if anything willow actually has like a weird quiet edge to her she could be a serial killer we don't know and uh, so Bobby wants to search each of the boys lockers but cordelia is so over this night and she says she needs to go home and burn her clothes and take a bath but she's too fragile to go alone so she asks angel to take her home so smooth cordy get it girl and he and Bobby look at each other like oh what's this boundary like what is this okay? Uh, uh, uh. And Cordy says, great, I'll drive and leads him out. He does look back very confused for a second. Buffy looks like she's so sad about it. And Xander's like, oh, I pegged him as a one woman vampire. Ugh. Shut up, Xander. At a house, at some house, Chris's mother is watching old football videos of Daryl and chain smoking. And Chris says, hey, I'm going out. But she says nothing because obviously she doesn't give a shit about the kid that's still alive. Very dark. And this reminds me of the scene back in Witch where, you know, it was Amy and Amy's mom and kind of a similar weird situation. Although, of course, we didn't know at the time that it was body swapping was going on. But, you know, there's this thing going on in Sunnydale where it's like some of the parents have just kind of checked out. You know, they've (laughs) dealt with too much. There's been too many dead bodies. So they're just going (laughs) to sit in front of their TVs and they're not going to participate in their child's lives or education anymore. No, what's the point? Yeah, like, I really like that you pointed out that it is very similar to Witch, this episode. And we'll find out more why that is later, what the similarities are. Uh, But back at school, as they're checking all the lockers of the science kids, Giles has a very quick warning that he does not condone this behavior as a teacher at the school. But then, of course, he does condone it and helps. Yeah, and they're all like, good for you, Giles. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) It was mostly your idea to come and do this. You're salty tonight. I love it. Um, they open Chris's locker and they find a Grey's Anatomy textbook and books on mortuary science and a paper that has, oh, three dead girls in it. And, you know, oh my God, it's him. Like, this is the guy because he leaves all his clues. Like, he might as well leave a sign (laughs) in his locker that says, I have been digging up bodies for parts. Like, why are you leaving all of these textbooks in your locker? It's just, it's so obvious. Like, you're really, really bad at hiding your tracks. Then also disposing body parts in the dumpster outside the school. I would take it to that other high school and dispose of them on that campus because then people are going to think it's students there. Yeah, like it's just a very small thing that would help out your own investigation, you know? (sighs) Steph, you and I would be so much better at robbing graves. Oh, yeah. Like we would join up with Willow and we would just be this dynamic trio. And also they open up Eric's locker and he's got a poster of all these like pieces of girls 
put together like Frankenstein. Well, objectification, literally, of women. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in a science lab or Frankenstein science lab, Eric is singing My Girl, which is a great uh, song. And No, well, this episode has forever ruined that song for me. No, and that, that makes you sad. <laughs> It, it really has. It, it ruined that song a long time ago for me, right? So, like, every time I hear that song, I can only think of this episode and of creepy Eric singing it to himself. And I'm just like, no. So watching it again really brought back those memories of how much I hate this song because of this episode. And every time he <laughs> sings it in this episode, I'm just like, I'm so over this. That's so funny because, I, like I said, I don't really remember this episode at all or these scenes this scene particularly but i love that song it's like so good so this this didn't ruin it for me but i was like eric you're such a fucking perv i don't like that you're singing the song that i really like and while he's doing it they're checking on all these decaying body parts on a doctor's table we don't actually see the body parts obviously that'd be too gross but we know they're there and eric is hanging pictures of the women that he took and by the woman i mean cordy buffy and willow so now we know why he was taking pictures. Yeah, for his personal collection. Uh, on the mezzanine the next day, Xander, Willow, and Buffy are discussing what they learned from the night before. And Buffy asks who, uh, why anyone would want to make a girl. And this is when Xander says, People don't fall in love with what's right in front of them. They want the dream, what they can't have. The more unattainable, the more attractive. Who? <laughs> Xander, okay, there's so many, ooh, that one, yeah, me and you are, our hands are up, we look like we're gonna choke him. Okay, there's so many layers to what he said. The first one is, like, Xander cannot go one episode without taking a metaphorical knife and stabbing Willow in the heart with saying shit like that. So... Willow's watching him say this and like this is Willow right like she wants Xander she loves Xander and Xander does not reciprocate but Xander is talking about Buffy and how he loves Buffy and Buffy won't reciprocate and love I put in quotation marks (sighs) because you know so Xander again just shut up Xander stop projecting your frustrations with Buffy onto this situation stop Mm -hmm justifying these massive creepsters who would rather make a teenage girl out of dead teenage girls than ask a real one out. Xander, stop doing that. It's so, so weird. Um, I have an idea. (laughs) Do you want to quickly role play this scene? Uh, You can be uh, Buffy and ask why anybody would want to make a girl. And I can be Xander and... Uh, I can model what an appropriate answer would be to that question. I I love this idea. Yeah, let's do it. So, like, why would anyone want to make a girl? Well, Buffy, I'm glad you asked. It's because they're creepy pervs (laughs) who don't believe or respect in the personhood of women. (laughs) And I value you both. (laughs) Yes. There we go. See how easy that would have been, Xander? So easy. So easy. But he just, he can't. And I swear to God, like... Okay, so I think we're supposed to feel sympathy for Xander here. We're supposed to be like, oh, Xander, like, Buff- like Buffy, Xander's right in front of you, and you're missing the point. But, like, sorry, Joss Whedon, because once again, I don't feel sympathy for Xander. I'm creeped out by what he just said, and I feel sympathy for Willow. Like, what you were trying to do for Xander, once again, I'm feeling for Willow, because 
this not fair. You're mistreating her once again. She gets the raw deal out of this conversation again. And Willow's been the most helpful out of this entire episode so far. I mean, if Willow goes evil this season and just kills everybody, like... <laughs> Good on her. <laughs> right? Kill all men. But yeah, no, <laughs> fucking Xander. Like, just, just go away. Why must you speak, Xander? Once again, Willow looks so sad by this conversation. And then she just says, for Eric, the unattainable would include everyone that's alive. <laughs> And once again, Willow coming in with the burn. We've seen that in a few other episodes. She can bring the heat when she needs to. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but Eric and Xander are not that different to us. No, Eric is like Xander if you kind of up the perv factor just a little bit more, right? Just like by one notch. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they even dress similar. Yeah, they do. And Eric also doesn't have any friends. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right, is Xander has had his perviness blunted a little bit by being childhood friends with Willow, right? So, you know, when you grow up with a girl as your best friend, uh, as opposed to Eric, whom I'm assuming grew up with no friends ever, um, <laughs> Chris, you know, that's the difference, right? And so, yeah, um, yeah, Xander, or sorry, Eric is who Xander could be if he were slightly pervier. Right. So just let's let's let that sit with us for a little bit while we continue. Okay. Um, The three of them walk down the quad and Giles is standing there and he's staring at Jenny, who's speaking to a student nearby. And obviously he's like working up the nerve, which I think is really endearing. And the three all smile. They know what this is about. And Buffy gives him a last little pep talk. And she's like, hey, she's a techno pagan. So ask her to bless your laptop, (laughs) which is really cute. They all kind of wish him luck. And once again, I love when the four of them are having these, this cute, you know, non, nothing supernatural about it, nothing Mm -hmm. in danger. They're just having normal human discussion, which I think is really nice to see. Well, there's, there's a whole like fan fiction subgenre for TV shows and, and movies and stories like this, where people will write stories that are just the character's hanging out mm-hmm. i i forget what it's called i think it might have something to do with like cafes or something but it's like the the, the stories are cute and lovely and relaxing because it's not you know the characters fighting evil it's just the characters hanging out and being lovely with one another right you know that's what the fans want so <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. alone in that <laughs> yeah where's that fan fiction where can i find it <laughs> uh go on ao3 you know okay i'll find it um Jenny and Giles walk into the school together and Giles is flubbing his lines while he's asking her out. And then the bell rings and she's like, hey, I got to go into class. And she leaves in through the door. And Giles is like, idiot to himself. Oh, I'm so stupid. And Jenny pokes her head back out and says, if it's important, tell me at the football game. Let's go together. I'll pick you up after school. We can grab a bite to eat. How do you feel about Mexican? So Jenny is so cool. She just she basically just took that off of Giles's hands did it herself asked him out she knew that's where he was going with this anyway oh yeah I I thought about this and I'm like so did she just ask him out on purpose and that's the conclusion I came to right oh for sure she Jenny knows like she's been around the block (laughs) and Jenny from the block (laughs) and she she just knew like they're into each other they flirt she knew he was trying to he's a shy apparently a shy man um, who gets tongue-tied around her. So he, she just did it for him. And I love that. Go Jenny. Go Jenny. Love that. And Giles looks super happy and cute. He does like a little skip as he walks down the hall, which is which is really sweet. So I'm loving Jenny and Giles' 
at the moment. Uh, in mm-hmm. an empty science lab, <laughs> randomly, Xander, Willow, and Buffy are wondering how Chris could raise a dead body. Maybe an electrical current or adrenaline boost could do it. Um, Buffy says that Chris and Eric didn't come to school. So, you know, did they finish their project or are they doing it now? Like, that's no good. <laughs> I love your face. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And um, Buffy says, what if that poor girl is walking around? And Xander says, poor girls. And I think the really big question of the of the hour is, what are they going to do with her when they raise yeah, her? Yeah, it's not incredibly obvious at this point in the episode, right? Like, yeah. what's their motivation for this? Like, who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to chop up some dead girls for parts and then assemble them into a dead girl I can, you know, animate? Like... How do you get that idea in your head? Were you assigned Frankenstein in your English class? And you're like, this sounds like a fun project. I mean, on my mind, we don't know yet. And I, maybe we can talk about this a little bit more later on, obviously, when we find out more about the, the reason behind it. But like right now, when they're discussing it in the lab and Buffy asks, like, what are they going to do with her? I'm like, ew, it's some sort of creepy yucky dead sex doll gross piece of uh, uh. like it just it's almost so disturbing you don't want to think that it could be a sex doll but that's what like what else why would you be assembling this and it's uh. (laughs) oh sorry we can talk about that again as we find out more about this plot but i also wanted to point out uh how are these boys doing it so they're coming up with like oh electrical current and like whatever but these are like high school science kids like how are they going to figure out how to reanimate a dead body well we're told that chris is smart enough to consistently beat willow at the science fair and willow's pretty smart like you know genius level so i'm willing here to just give it to the show and just be like chris is a really smart dude and he thinks this is within his capability well how do you feel about this i wrote in my note here does the supernatural energy that comes off of the Hellmouth that Giles is always talking about, does it make people smarter? Like, it, you know, it, I think it does help people feel more evil sometimes, but could it also <sighs> affect people's intelligence? Well, that wouldn't explain Xander then. <laughs> it skipped sorry. it. <laughs> I'm sorry, people. Um, Xander's smart. No, that was unfair. Um I think you have a point. That's definitely a possibility. I would suggest maybe maybe the Hellmelt's mystical energy helps out with the animation process, right? Because, you know, scientifically speaking, this is not possible. And as far as we know, the boys are using purely scientific methods here. There's no, like, uh, spells. There's no magic books involved. But maybe what they're doing is only working because they were on the Hellmouth, and if they were trying this anywhere else, it wouldn't work without some kind of magical intervention. Mm. Okay. No. And they, of course, they don't know that. They just mm. think they're super smart. Right? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, Man. yeah. <laughs> Giles comes in and says that he spoke to a press person about the remains that, that they found on campus. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess the press are just as like open with details as that doctor from the Nightmares <laughs> episode is. <laughs> I remember him. <laughs> Oh, please come back, Doctor yeah. from Nightmares. Like everybody, all these like randoms are just like, here's everything I know about this <laughs> this crime scene. So the police found three heads in the dumpster. So they know that Chris and Eric don't have the whole package yet. They obviously discarded the heads, which are no good. And that's when Xander makes another creepy, gross joke about finding 
the dead cheerleader heads attractive enough. It's like, why? Why you put that in there at all? Why? Uh, <sighs> and hey, I'm all I'm I like dark humor. Sure. But just when it's constantly coming from Xander, I don't like it. Well, coming from Xander in like a skeevy, sexualized way. Yes, it's like, all right, all right. So yeah, Giles basically just says they're one step short of completing their masterpiece. So Eric and Chris are arguing. They're in, I assume, Chris's basement and they're arguing because they're running out of time and they need to attach a head tonight or they'll lose the body parts that they've already collected. And Chris wants to wait for another accident to happen and Eric wants to murder someone because, you know, it's just one lousy girl. Yeah, so we're, we're seeing this division in terms of Chris and Eric's characters. Like, Chris is doing this and obviously he's morally compromised because he's doing this, but... He still has some kind of conscience, whereas Eric seems to be far more psychopathic, (laughs) where he doesn't see this as wrong at all. No. This is an amoral thing for him, whereas Chris knows that what he's doing is wrong. But as we find out in this scene, right, because we have the big reveal about Daryl, and I thought this was a really cool twist. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I think there are parts of this episode that are not great, I think the writers really handled the interaction among Chris, Eric, and Daryl really well. Right. So, like, Daryl steps out of the shadows, and he's got his high school football, uh, what is it, like, the varsity jacket on? Yeah. But he's got, like, the stitches on his face. So it's like, turns out Daryl died, but Chris brought him back. And now we know what that body's for, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's interesting that we see Chris's motivation is, I owe this to my dead brother, who I brought back to life in the first place. Yeah. And then Eric's motivation is, I just want to kill girls and be creepy. Yeah, and I guess he also probably gets off on the bringing them to life and the whole science fiction of it all, you know? Uh, the oh, I'm sure he just keeps thing. some of the spare parts for his own uses. <laughs> What's creepy about this too is that like this like has happened in real life. Like body snatchers and people doing stuff with dead bodies. Bleh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like th- this whole episode is part of the subgenre called body horror, right? Especially mm-hmm. when we get to what happens with Cordelia. And it's just like, like honestly, if anybody skips this episode, and I know if you skip this episode, you're not going to be listening at this point in this episode <laughs> to us. But if you skip this episode, no shame on you. Because yeah. this is a creepy AF episode and it makes me uncomfortable just talking about it. But this is what we do for you listeners. Yeah, this is for you, not for us. And um, so, yeah, so Daryl, oh my God, Daryl's alive. And I, I think it, I kind of laughed because Daryl was like <laughs> guilt tripping Chris into doing this murder for him. But he was using like a football metaphor, <laughs> which well, made me laugh. <laughs> we're supposed to believe that Chris is super, super smart. And Daryl, his older brother, is a bit of a football dummy, right? Like, he's only good at football, um, and he doesn't have Chris's intelligence. And Daryl actually says that at some point, right? And um, so it's a little bit of a stereotypical, cliched sibling relationship here. But that's the whole point, is Daryl really only understands the world through football. (laughs) And this is his only way of expressing himself to Chris. Also, we don't know how many brain cells he lost before Chris managed to reanimate him. <laughs> yeah, we really don't. And like, but also because we already know that they need a fresh head. So how fresh was Daryl when he died that they were able to reanimate exactly. him? The science doesn't add up here, people. And yeah, and I guess we can also assume that so 
so so Daryl wants this woman for companionship and for sex because otherwise I, yeah I, I mean why pick yes, out individual but pieces? I, I think the implication is he recognizes that he's a freak now right he is yeah. alone and isolated and presumably not going to die he's not going to age he's not going to die because he's not really alive mm. so he's alone it's the classic Bride of Frankenstein scenario. <laughs> right. So anyway, Chris relents and Eric says, pick your photograph. Which one do you want? Which girl? And he's like, Daryl's like, this one. And Eric grossly is like, a man of taste. And it's Cordelia. So Eric starts cutting up Cordelia's picture to make another collage, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so once again, we have yet another episode where Cordelia thinks it's all about her. Mm -hmm. And it is all about her. It sure is. She's not wrong. Me, me, me. We're in the library. Willow is checking obituaries. And she lets us know that formaldehyde is what makes the heads useless after a few days. Because it destroys the brains. So that's why the boys need a fresh corpse. As fresh as possible. That's when Buffy puts on her slayer face. And she's like, oh god, they're going to murder someone. We need to split up and find these guys. Uh, I'll go to Chris's house with Giles. Willow and Xander will go to Eric's. And Giles says, wait, I, I have to go to the game. Because don't forget, he's got a date with Jenny that day. And Buffy is just like, okay, you go to the game. We'll meet you there later. And wow, Buffy is so much more lenient to Giles dating than Giles was when Buffy wanted to go on a date last season. Yeah, it, and it really surprises me that Giles goes, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you would think he'd be like, oh no, this is more important. I need to help you stop somebody from killing students and chopping up their body parts. <laughs> he must really have it bad for Jenny. Yeah, he, like he's just like, I can't possibly miss this football game. It's important. So as they're leaving, Willow says to Buffy, don't be too hard on Chris. He's not a vampire. And Buffy says, no, he's just a ghoul. So Willow is showing a lot of sympathy for Chris, obviously, because she knows him and he went through, you know, a hard, hard time last year. And it is very similar to how Buffy felt toward Amy in Witch, where she had a lot of sympathy for someone who's possibly a villain. And I guess we can't go through an episode like this without expressing that whole we don't kill humans especially ones that are damaged or grieving someone has to say it in each episode so in this time around it's willow at chris's house buffy's at the door his mother opens it but just kind of walks away and sits back on her chair and she's talking about a game that daryl was playing in and buffy's like great and <laughs> sees a door that has all these stickers on it that say do not enter so she goes in and now she's in chris's basement and she finds the images of her and willow and then she finds this new body plan of the girl parts with Cordy's head conveniently glued to the top of it. So their entire plot is there. Evidence that a court could use against them is just lying there. And as Buffy's looking at it, Daryl is creeping up behind her. It looks like he's going to strangle her. Very Frankenstein-like. And that's when Buffy hears a noise and leaves through the open window. So at this point, I'm kind of like... How come Chris hasn't shown his mother, Daryl? Like, his, his mother's up there. I don't think she'd react well to that. Well, I don't know, though, because she's so catatonic in her grief, and it's very sad and very yeah. real. But he's alive. He's downstairs, and he's alive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. We don't know enough about mom to really answer that, I think. Yeah, that's fair. 
So Cordelia is in the locker room, the locker room and doing her makeup, getting in her cheerleading outfit. She's getting ready to go out into the field. That's when Chris approaches her and she's like, oh, what are you doing here? Is something wrong? And Eric puts a bag over her head as they're about to kidnap her and she screams. That's when Buffy comes running down the hall and she, this is a little scene that is so weird to have in this at all, but she sees two cheerleaders and she asks them where Cordy is. And one of the cheerleaders is like, Cordelia has a game to think about. She doesn't need losers like you. I know. It's funny. Um, I mean, I do wonder if this particular scene got added in afterwards to like pad out the episode because, you know, they're not successful at kidnapping Cordy in this scene, right? Because Buffy ends up intervening and uh, it may be like they have to kidnap her later a different way. And so it kind of made me think about how like, well, maybe they added in this false kidnapping the first time or the <laughs> failed kidnapping attempt, sorry, um, to pad out the episode runtime. And I could be totally off base here. Like I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's sometimes what happens in these TV shows, you know, when you notice like an extra conversation or an extra scene that didn't have to be in the episode. Sometimes they're just padding it out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because it was a really weird scene. <laughs> just, whoa, what a bitch. Like, what the fuck? And then um, Buffy runs in and she kicks Eric in the face. So she just kicks him in the face. And I amazingly, he didn't die from that. And he just gets up and runs away. And she helps Cordy up. And the music is playing from the field. And Cordy's literally like, oh, my God, I have to go. I'm the apex of the cheerleading pyramid. I have she's to get out of here. She's got priorities straight. Sure. And I suppose that she's just been kidnapped so many times at this point that she, it's just like another day in the life. She's just like, yeah, like that that well, happened. But when when they succeed later in this episode, that'll be kidnapping number three in this <laughs> series. Remember, we're keeping track. Yeah. Um, and it's also the second kidnapping in two consecutive episodes because she was kidnapped in the last episode too so this <laughs> yeah. is a worrying trend yeah but and it's even more worrying that she doesn't care she's like oh god i need to go out to the field they inconvenienced me for a second and um buffy knows that chris is hiding in the locker room so she tries to talk to him you know like the whole it's not too late you haven't hurt anyone yet once again terrible things happening in this locker room just the locker room needs to burn and Buffy says she knows that what it's like to lose someone close to you, but what he's doing is wrong. And my note here is, who is she talking about? Who has she lost? Is it Dr. Gregory from Teacher's Pet? Because who, who is she talking about? Jesse? <laughs> Jesse? Um, Merrick? Or whatever his name was from the movie? Could be, yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know much about Buffy's life before Sunnydale. <laughs> who she's talking about um chris comes out and says he has to begin he has to do this because his brother always looked out for him and he's all alone and from these ramblings buffy figures out that his brother is alive <laughs> we cut to the basement and daryl is losing his mind because they didn't manage to court kidnap cordelia he's having a tantrum and he's raging and eric says i can finish the corpse bride without chris i can do it without chris i don't need him so let's go scare you up a date is what he says so buffy and chris arrive in the basement because chris is now gonna help buffy and it's too late the boys are already gone and the audience is now starting to see chris 
as sympathetic again. Willow wanted us to think this way, but we can't because, you know, a lot of us go through problems, but not all of us are chopping up dead bodies to make new girls. <laughs> so Yeah, like Chris can be redeemed, right? Yes, Whereas yeah. Eric clearly doesn't care. He's amoral. He has no conscience to be appealed to. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that Chris is working with Buffy now, the audience is now on his side. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if I'm on his side, but <laughs> it's good that he's working with Buffy. It's it's good that he's trying to right his wrong. Um, at the game, Cordy and the cheerleaders are on the field and Giles and Jenny are on their little date. And I don't know, if I saw two teachers at my high school on a date at the football game, it would be a huge deal. Like it would be like we'd all be talking about it. We'd be like, It'd Holy be front shit. page news. Oh, yeah, that's like a huge deal. So like of all places to have a first date, why a school event? And Jenny loves football, apparently, and giles who is holding like all of your stereotypical football things <laughs> that a fan would have like the little flags and he's got all these munchies mm-hmm. um he points out that brits are manlier than americans because they play rugby and don't require all the padding <laughs> which i thought was he, funny and yeah his british snobbery is just yeah. really nice and on point and like you said this is another cute conversation because it's not about supernatural stuff right no. it's just very mundane it's very mundane, but very sweet human interaction mm. things. And I, I'm into it. And Jenny does say, like, that's not what you say to somebody on a first date. And Giles is like, oh, it, you said first date. And they, they smile and it's fucking cute. All right. Like I, anyone who doesn't find that cute, you're dead inside. Xander and Willow approach and they say they didn't find anything at Eric's, but Buffy isn't back yet. So they decide to sit with them. So they're completely cock blocking their date vibe. Yeah. I, I love that Willow calls Jenny Ms. Calendar. Mm-hmm. But Giles is just Giles, not Mr. Giles. <laughs> no, yeah, we should be calling him Mr. Giles this whole time, but we don't. Daryl <laughs> is creeping around underneath the bleachers, watching the football game, looking sad. And football is life. That's what watching five seasons of Friday Night Lights has taught me. But <laughs> I think it's just really funny because we're supposed to once again feel bad for Daryl because he lost his life and he's not really watching the game and like the sport of it all. He's watching the players goof around together mm-hmm. you know well, he wants also, a human experience yeah and daryl didn't ask to be brought back to life right no. like he didn't choose this so yeah. he's really in an unenviable position here so while obviously i don't condone the fact that he's so keen on taking cordelia's head for his <laughs> dead girlfriend body yeah. you know i understand the source of his pain and a, and a good villain is one where we kind of get where they're coming from. Yeah. But I'm not saying he's a good villain. I'm just saying I get why they're showing us him creeping around mm-hmm. the bleachers, being sad while watching this football game. So he sees Cordelia, who shortly after conveniently goes behind the bleachers by herself to get some water. And that's when he grabs her and pulls her away. And her scream goes unnoticed because the football cheers in the stands. Although there are a lot of people around. I have no idea how he did this without anyone seeing, but, you know, whatever. Buffy and Chris arrive at the game, and they notice that Cordelia is missing, and Buffy basically orders Chris to tell her where the lab is. And Chris says that they're in the old science lab. And I'm like, what the hell is the old science lab? What is that? I mean, that would be like Sunnydale has, like, different buildings, I guess, and... 
that's a building that used to be the science lab, but then they <laughs> shut it down when they built a more modern version, which, like, to be fair, some high schools, especially older ones in older towns, would have <laughs> that kind of setup. But you would think that the school would do a better job of, like, taking out all the equipment. I mean, in the science lab, there's, like, you know, a lot of medical stuff, like doctor's stuff in there. Mind you, we don't know where they're getting yeah, this Yeah, like, this there's equipment. canisters of oxygen and stuff, and it's like, did... Chris and Eric bring all that in or was <laughs> that just left over? They just shut the doors and they're like, it's fine. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just heard that. I was like the, the abandoned science lab. I was like, okay, okay. Um, so Cordelia is in the abandoned science lab. She's strapped into a table and she's blindfolded and she's just asking them to remove the blindfold. She won't scream. Just let her see, like, just don't, don't have her blindfolded. And this uh, so once again cordelia is held down on a table on her back and it's just a, it's another rape scenario it's another situation mm -hmm. in this show involving cordelia and why mm -hmm. <laughs> why and yeah cordelia just being like hey daryl like please take off the blindfold like um and i won't scream and he does and she of course screams and Eric is all like, you know, we're in an abandoned building. No one's going to be able to hear you. And like, oh, I just hate this. I just hate this situation. I mean, Eric's actor is just really good at playing an irredeemable creepy perp. <sighs> yeah. So it's not so much that they're going to rape her right now. They're going to behead her first, attach her to a dead body, then rape her. And it's like, oh, my God. So Eric has a Bunsen burner. And he's preparing the knife and then he's just about to cut off her head. And that's when Buffy breaks down the door and Eric literally throws the knife at her and she catches it. It's such a cool scene, right? Because Eric and Daryl don't have any clue that Buffy's the Slayer. And this is my favorite thing is I love it when Buffy gets to face off against people who don't know that she's the Slayer. Because yeah. then, of course, they just assume she's a tiny blonde girl and she's no threat. So Eric, even though he's also like smaller than Buffy, I think, right? He <laughs> assumes because he's a man and she's a dumb blonde, right? He underestimates her because she's a woman. She comes in. He's like, I'll just take care of this. I'll just throw this knife with my amazing knife throwing skills for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and the moment she catches it, right? It's just like, yes, like Buffy is going to fuck you up. Like, yeah. I don't want to stand near you now because Buffy is going to take care of this. Oh, hell yeah. Like, there uh, any any fear I was feeling for Cordelia literally a minute ago is gone because Buffy's here. And Buffy caught that knife, no problem. And uh, Daryl and Buffy begin to fight. And as they're fighting, a gas can <laughs> is pushed over and starts pouring onto the floor. Eric tries to run away, but Daryl knocks him out. And inevitably, the open flame from the Bunsen burner is knocked into the gas, lighting the factory on fire. The moment course, you saw that flame, you, you knew there was going to be fire later. Oh, yeah. You don't introduce a Bunsen burner if you're not going to use it <laughs> I mean, in a story. So Xander shows up and he's trying to help Cordy out of her straps. Giles and Willow pull Eric's body out of the way of the fire. Xander can't undo the straps fast enough as the fire intensifies. So he just wheels Cordelia's bed out and out through the door uh angel wouldn't be able to do that stuff why because he's a vampire because <laughs> he'd catch fire yeah yeah so xander was able to do something that angel couldn't have done Ooh. um uh, i want to point out here this scene 
is just it's very much in the Buffy formula now for the series, right? Buffy mm-hmm. shows up first, starts mm-hmm. fighting the principal bad guy, and then Giles and Willow and Xander come in a couple minutes later and like their job is to like get the innocence out of the situation. And yeah. we've seen this in a few episodes previous, so it's cool that, you know, this is being recapitulated and we're going to keep seeing this throughout the season. And I think something that we should pay attention to as watchers is when does that start to change from Buffy being the one who fights and the sidekicks sidekicking it up to Willow and Xander and Giles being a little bit more active in the fighting? Very good point. We'll keep our eye on it. So Buffy and Daryl have been fighting this whole time. And he, it looks like he's about to overpower her and smush her with a desk. But uh, Chris comes in and says, don't. And that's when Daryl notices that his corpse bride, his body parts, are starting to burn up. So he's just like, no. And he goes and lies with it so that they can be dead bodies together forever. I, okay. I think Daryl just was not into living as a zombie, right? And No. I think he just gave up. Yeah. Well, he's yeah, like you said earlier, like, I don't want to be here. I didn't fucking ask for this so so outside the fire trucks are there and chris is sad that his brother is gone for realsies this time buffy listens to him sympathetically because buffy sometimes is a saint and it's just like yep like i'm gonna be here for you so like here's my question what happens to chris do they turn him in or do they put it all on eric (laughs) right like that's my that's my question is like chris is culpable I feel like the police should deal with him. Yeah. Um, although hashtag abolished police. But <laughs> there we don't know, right? We don't know. Do they let him get away with it? And like you said, do they just pin it all on Eric? Like there's no wrap up to like what are the consequences for these two dudes digging up bodies? What are California laws on digging up dead bodies and kidnapping? Because they both dug up the bodies. Chris would at least get attempted kidnapping and then Eric would get the actual kidnapping or they could blame it all yeah. on Daryl <laughs> said he's just gone like, now. <laughs> like I feel like Chris could get, you know, he could negotiate a better deal. Although yeah. maybe they don't turn Chris in because then Buffy would have to explain how she showed up and, you know, she'd have to like testify in court, but also like try to conceal the fact that she's a slayer with super strength. And it just gets like, messy so maybe they're just like don't do it again (laughs) hey i'll be watching you mom be careful you but here's the thing it's like we have the sympathy on chris's side because first of all we know his mother isn't any sort of support system for him anymore she's lost in her grief his brother died willow says she feels bad for him like he got really quiet last year but he's brilliant And the fact that he changed his mind halfway through and started helping Buffy. And you've said already in this episode that Eric is a psychopath. So maybe he should just get the whole blame for it. Maybe he was in cahoots the whole time. Like, I don't... (laughs) Interesting. I'm curious to hear what our listeners have to think. Like, how do we apportion the guilt here? What should have? What should they do with Chris? You know, if you have opinions on this, let us know. Yeah, what do you guys think happened to them? (laughs) Because we certainly never find out. So... This also must be the strangest crime scene for the investigators to clean up because it's like there's so many body parts in there. Some of them from people who are newly dead. Some of them from someone, a guy who's been dead for like over a year. It's very strange. Um, Angel comes up because he says he he saw the fire and he wanted to check up on Buffy. Giles and Jenny are talking about their first date. And it's pretty clear that they're 
going to have a second date and possibly a naked one. <laughs> like, you know, oh, like these two, <laughs> no. these two are, these two are gonna, they're, they're into each other. That's for sure. Xander is talking to Willow about how everyone is paired off, even the librarian, and he and Willow are never paired off. And again, Xander, you suck. You suck for saying this to Willow. Well, and then Cordelia, of course, comes up, and for, like, the first time in her life, she's going to be nice to Xander, and she's going to be like, oh, you know, I just wanted to thank you for, like, saving my life. You know, you were brave and heroic, I guess, right? Like, she's thanking him, and... She's right to do so. Mm-hmm. And Xander literally brushes her off. And he's like, do you mind? We're talking, right? And he's like gesturing between him and Willow. And yeah. I got so upset with him at this point. I'm like, Xander, mm-hmm. stop talking. You know, like Cordelia's just trying to be nice, which does not come easily for her. And you're shutting her down when she's trying to call you heroic, which yeah. you seem to desperately want. So... And I know we're supposed to see it as really funny because Xander is clueless and oblivious, but it's also just very, very grating. Cordy and Xander have a very interesting dynamic, and you're right. Like, she went out of her way to give him compliments and to point out his better, more genuine characteristics that you and I are so hesitant to to address because we don't see it that often. But she actually was saying, like, hey, you're brave, you're heroic, what can I do, right? And I think that's really great for, for Cordy. So what we have here is Cordy is showing character growth. Xander is yeah. not growing at all. No, no. And I think some in some cases you'd be like, well, it's nice that Xander doesn't kiss Cordy's ass. Like he doesn't let mm-hmm. Cordy bully him, but he's mean about it. And mm-hmm. we've seen him be mean about it. And this is rude. This is He could have just been gracious and been like, no problem. Happy to help. But he didn't. He was just like, do you mind? We're talking. So... So yeah, so but we we definitely like that Cordy and Xander dynamic is going to continue during the season. So we'll have to watch it play out in the cemetery. Buffy and Angel are talking about what went down and Buffy repeats what Willow said earlier in the episode that love makes you do the wacky. And of course, like, Angel doesn't know what that means. And she's like, oh, just, you know, crazy stuff. And he says crazy like a 241 year old being jealous of a high school junior. And Buffy, you know, says, I don't love Xander. And Angel finally lets her know, like, what's bothering him. And it's just that he's jealous that Xander gets to be part of her life and see her in the daylight and get to be there for those parts of Buffy's uh, life. And she's like, hey, I don't look that good in direct sunlight. Angel also says, you know, I can't eat meals with you. And this reminded (laughs) me of how back in the Angel episode in season one, Buffy brought you dinner in a bag. Angel, like... (laughs) She's clearly into eating meals with you. You just have to understand that dinner in a bag is her love language. That's what it was. And he was like, I want to eat real dinner with you (laughs) on a plate. And um, (laughs) he's sad that Xander gets the plate dinner and he gets the bag dinner. (laughs) Maybe that's just how they eat dinner in Buffy's house. You don't know. Yes, Angel, this is a whole new world for you. You like, you know, from what we can tell, we're just alone for 100 years. (laughs) It's like, this is how people eat dinner nowadays. Uh, (laughs) uh, Buffy. Okay, so they notice that it's going to get light soon because I guess they were out all night. And Buffy says, can I walk you home? And it's cute because they hold hands and they walk through the cemetery mist past Daryl's empty grave. And um, once again, like we brought this up earlier, 
this is really nice relationship progression for these two. It's it's very small. Uh, they had a little tiff. Angel admits his insecurities to her. It's very simple, but it's a very necessary small step to showing these two their connection is growing. Their relationship is getting deeper. They're being honest with each other. And now they're holding hands and walking through their love cemetery together. So <laughs> Okay. So you, what you're saying is you wish this episode had ended with like the <laughs> the screen going to black with like the heart-shaped uh, cutout <laughs> narrowing did. in was, on them. It, it did to me. It was just that, the, the, you know, the heart-shaped <laughs> cutout was Daryl's grave. I, I do like that they bookend this episode, right, with a Buffy and Angel scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you. I agree it's good that they are taking the time to develop that relationship in the proper way. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's your hero? Uh, my hero is Willow because she did a ton of research and she was directly linked to the people that were, you know, part of the case this this episode. She's just, she's super smart and she deserves more. Uh, we keep saying this. We've been saying this for three episodes in a row. We want more Willow. Like, where's Willow's time I think to we shine? need to write into the writers and, like, campaign for this. Um, <laughs> 24 years later. Excuse you, writers. <laughs> You better fix it. I this. love this because I picked something totally different. So Great. originally I wanted to say Xander because he, oh, him, yeah, well, him wheeling the gurney through the flames, that was heroic. Like he didn't have to do that. He was risking his life for Cordelia. She pointed this out and I agree with her. But I also feel really uncomfortable because once again, Xander made it really hard to praise him in this episode. Listeners, we are trying so hard to not be hard on Xander. And once again, he makes it difficult for us. <laughs> so my alternate hero is Jenny because nice. she had the wherewithal to recognize Giles' tongue-twistedness and to <laughs> yeah. ask him out instead yeah. and even kind of imply that there would be a second date. And she was really cool with Giles being awkward and British and leaving their date to go deal with whatever was going on at the old science lab, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Jenny's being heroic in her own way. I like that. And also, I mean, the focal point of all of the conversations that you and I pointed out that we really liked this episode were around Jenny, about Jenny, and involved mm-hmm. Jenny. So you're right. Like, that's that's a really good choice, I think. So in terms of the quality of this episode overall, something mm-hmm. I couldn't stop thinking about was how this is a non-vampire-centric episode, very similar to many of the episodes we got in season one with like witch and teacher's pet. Um, But immediately the quality of this episode is just so much better than those non-vampire episodes from season one. I'm not saying that this is a good episode, but it is still much better than the season one non-vampire episodes. Like just the production, the quality of the writing, the quality of the acting, you know, there's not... The costuming is not as hokey. So I think this episode is a really good example of how season two overall has really stepped up its quality from season one, where Mm -hmm. even the mediocre non-vampire episodes in this season are still going to be miles above the non-vampire episodes from season one. You had said in our first season how there are filler episodes and then Mm -hmm. there are episodes that push the plot forward for that overarching villain plot of the the season. Mm -hmm. And this is a filler episode. 
It is. And you, you can have a monster of the week episode that at least pushes the character development forward. Exactly. And this episode didn't really do that. Angel and Buffy had that small little relationship development. Danny and Giles had a very small relationship development. This episode had little bits of that, but really nothing was big enough to, for me to tell somebody that you cannot miss some assembly required. This is definitely one of those episodes where it was good, but I don't. I, I think you could call it filler. Absolutely, I agree. In a season that has twenty-two episodes, because season two is the first full-length season of Buffy, you need filler episodes. And mm-hmm. this is something I mentioned in our intro episode. I miss this type of television making because as much as you're going to have filler episodes in a season of twenty-two, twenty-four episodes that stink once in a while, mm-hmm. I like. The slower episodes that are not high stakes, that have those moments that we talked about, you know, I agree with you. Would I recommend this episode as essential? No. And I don't really like this particular filler episode. It's very (laughs) disturbing in many ways. Yeah. But this is one of my favorite things about Buffy as a series is enjoying the filler episodes almost as much as the plot pushing episodes. Was this episode low-key about rape like there was a lot of misogynistic undertones especially with eric and saying like oh there's just one lousy girl and you know we're gonna build this body out of parts that we picked from other bodies and make this woman for this other guy it it just like overall the the creepy factor for me was less about the fact that they're digging up bodies and more about the fact that they're using the bodies to pleasure this guy and as much as, you know, this girl is going to be put together and then brought back to life, it's not her choice. It's certainly not Tordelia's choice to have her head cut off, but it's what the man wants. So he's making I agree this completely. happen. And yeah. I just think, the, the, the body horror aspect of this is not digging up the bodies like you said. It's having a woman in a vulnerable position where she's going to have her power taken away. Um, you know, she has no choice in this matter. And so I think you're absolutely right that this episode is about rape. I think some people would say, well, it's not about rape because there is no raping happening. But really, when you get down to it, right, rape is about power. It's not about the sex itself. A part of me feels like it's like they almost didn't know that that's what the underlining theme was. It's almost like they missed it. I don't think you could miss it. No, because you're absolutely (laughs) right that this is about objectifying women for their bodies and not recognizing right that women have a purpose other than satisfying men because that's what yeah that's what rape and sexual assault is uh regardless of the gender of the person being assaulted it's you know you are saying that your desires matter more than that person's uh ability to consent and that's what's going on here when eric is saying well we're just gonna cut off your head and put it on this body it's like you know cordelia clearly is not consenting to that. But Eric thinks that he has the right to override that. And that is rape. And I think the writers are very aware of that fact. I just think that, and maybe this is where you're coming from, they don't do a great job explaining that to a presumably (laughs) younger audience. It goes unsaid. And that even in death, our bodies can't simply oh, be that's such our a good own point. and yeah. 
even the fact that these three girls died in a car accident, their bodies yeah. are still objectified and chopped up and used for some man's pleasure this is, somewhere else. And this else. is why I find this episode supremely unsettling. And again, like I like filler episodes in general, but this is not one I would choose to rewatch very often. Yeah. So we do, we do have a hot steak moment from uh, one of our listeners. So today we posted our season one wrap up episode as well as our Buffy the movie review and I got a lot of people writing in about the TikTok drama that we talked about in our wrap-up episode and Chloe wrote that (laughs) she's like when I listened to the episode this morning I was thinking about how interesting it is that Joss Whedon wrote someone to be in love and pining after his self-insert character yeah so I was like, oh my god, you're right. She's referring, of course, to Willow pining fruitlessly after Xander for all of season one. Yeah, because you and I talk so much about how Xander is Joss Whedon's mm. self-insert character and a lot of Xander's actions and motivations we can only assume mimic Joss and how he feels about this situation and how he would want to be portrayed or whatever. And Chloe's so right. Like, also, he wrote this other character, Willow, to be completely obsessed and with him. she's a smart girl, right? Like, she's <laughs> this ideal woman. She's attractive, like you've mentioned, but she's smart, but she's quiet, so she's never going to overshadow you. You know, it's like, this is, this is the ideal version of a woman for a deprived cis straight male nerd. Ugh. Ah. Just, yeah, speaking of (laughs) men using women for their own means, you know? All right. Thank you for the hot steak, Chloe. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.